0: What is up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley here with the Sales Marketing Bill Freedom Show. I have a very special guest today. I am Sean Cahill. Sean is a former founder where he grew a company called Martech King to so about 2 million ARR, sold it to Huron Consulting, went through the corporate world a little bit, and now is back in the consulting world at Unify Consulting where he is a national practice leader for marketing. So, really excited to talk with Sean today to hear the trials and tribulations. Of going from a founder to back to the consulting world, now working with some of the biggest companies in the world. Sean, welcome. Happy to have you on, man.
1: Ryan, I'm glad to be here. Thanks a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, dude. So you have a real unique story. And Sean is a wizard at Martech, obviously, as you can tell by the name of his, his company that he sold. So, but before we get into any of that, Sean, can you give everyone your Superhero origin story. Just so folks have a little more detailed understanding of your journey and kind of how you got to where you're at today, and uh, some of the exciting things that you're working on.
1: Yeah. So um, my journey. I started in sales. Uh, I hated marketing. So yeah, marketing were the people who send us garbage leads and then complain that we didn't uh, didn't close enough of them. I started there at Xerox eventually um, and moved to Cisco and led the channel for Cisco in the central and west and fell in love with marketing. And then out of that, I developed a thirst for startups. I got really into the startup space in uh, the Northern California area uh, because that's where I was based with Cisco. Um, And then started working with a consulting firm that helped support top of funnel generation for startups and then launched my own company uh, working with Sequoia Capital in developing um, pipeline for startups and getting them to series B. I'm not an entrepreneur. So, uh, you know, Huron was looking to grow its advisory practice within its technology space. So, I came in and led that and then recently, about a year and a half ago, made the jump to uh, a smaller consulting firm that had a more startup feel but works with Fortune 100 uh, type clients. So, that's where I am today. Cool, man.
0: So, so how did you start your company originally? I'd love to hear that just because um, that's, as you know, we've, we've had a record number of new companies that have started, I think over the last year, year and a half. And so this was a little bit, what years? what year did you start your company? 2017. Okay. So 2017. So you're, you're definitely ahead of that big, big curve. So what made you start it? How did it happen? How did it all go down? And uh, we'd love for you to share the details, man.
1: Yeah, so I started the company based on relationships, really, at the end of the day. Uh, it was relationships and conversations around um, companies that were having a hard time getting their Series B and just talking with them about uh, their pipeline and the kind of the numbers that they were looking at and helping support them uh, and what they were going to need in order to meet the revenue requirements or the pipeline requirements for their funders. And a company, I started with a single company, a single client that said, you know what, we're willing to pay you X amount of dollars a month uh, if you can help us uh, identify a pipeline outside of our core because they were focused only on um, auto dealers. It was an AI tool called Conversica. It's an AI tool for email automation that was only for auto dealers. They got acquired by Sequoia. But they weren't sure that they could sell to other companies, which is crazy. Like anybody should buy Like why are you only focusing on car dealers uh, for such an amazing tool? But they needed to demonstrate that through pipeline. Uh, and they're having a really hard time because they couldn't identify who their ideal audience was, things like that. Um, so, you know, they brought me in to help them to develop that pipeline and show them how to demonstrate that they had a market and a product market fit uh, across multiple verticals. And from that, the word grew and it was just basically word of mouth. And Silicon Valley is in a small area, so uh, everybody knows everybody. So, once you start developing a reputation, it's pretty easy to continue to grow that way.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, what did you do? What did you do to grow that pipeline for them in the in the other verticals? Like, break it down for us. What is like, how did you systematically do it? What was your thought process along the way? Um, let, let's talk through that.
1: Ah, jeez. All right. So, you focus on the three areas of people, process and technology. Uh, We started with uh, what are our objectives and our processes around that. So, we built a sales process with conversion rates. Uh, It was important to identify, you know, I'll take a step back. One of the biggest issues that we identified within the startup community is when I I got a series A, I've developed an MVP or a POC to take to market uh, and I get uh, so much uh, runway to get to my B round. Um, and then, you know, I calculated my burn rate and what I'm going to need to achieve to get that B round. So the calculation that most founders use is the amount of leads that they're getting in a month times their average contract value times their close rate. Those are, that's the calculation that we usually generally use. So if I'm getting 100 leads in a month uh, and I can close 10 of 10% for $10,000, that's my, you know, it's $100,000 uh, is my revenue that I'm realizing. So, when they realize they need a million dollars in revenue, the typical lever that they pull is, I need more leads. So that's when they invest in top of funnel and they buy SDRs and they buy ADRs uh, and they'll outsource to people who promise to bring them X amount of leads for $1,000 a lead. Uh, And the the math works, right? But what ends up happening is um, when I pull one lever, it impacted the other levers. So it would reduce my close rate, it would reduce my ACV and it would raise my sales cycle, which is something that a lot of of companies don't really focus on is what is my sale? How long does it take me to close close a lead? And am I calculating that into my equation? So, what we did was we started with that. We don't need more leads, we need better leads. We need to identify what are the leads that are most likely to close within a 30-day period? What are the leads that are most likely to close, period? um, And what are the leads that are gonna have the highest ACV? Because if I'm doing it like at a per C license, I want I want to kind of be able to calculate that. So, that was our first step was identifying our ideal customer profile or our target leads or whatever we want to call it uh, and then start focusing on those. Um, we worked with sales uh, and we worked with marketing uh, and we developed our lead list. We also built propensity models. I'm a big fan of identifying propensity models. Um, we use some can, machine can, learning. Can
0: yeah. Can I interrupt you for real quick? Yeah, please. The uh, The layman... Mm-hmm. L- Lame woman, whoever is uh, listening this, can you explain what propensity models are?
1: Yeah, one of the coolest things that we did, and one of the coolest things anybody does, in my opinion, is so you go into your CRM, uh, and it, one of the problems is it requires a lot of data. Uh, and you identify, if I take everybody that's bought from me and I start to identify commonalities at, at a high level, it's everybody that has ever bought from me or anybody that's gotten to close lost, if I presented them a proposal, because if I get to that stage, they're probably a good fit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I identify what are the commonalities among those. And then uh, if I take those commonalities and I set it against my full current database of prospects, if I have Salesforce, and I'm just tracking against fields, uh, I can start pulling up who uh, shares those commonalities. Um, know, we can do data enhancement for that which is a big help. There's one client that couldn't figure out how to identify uh, who's most likely to buy from us. They primarily targeted Fortune 1000 and one thing that the model identified was a tool called HP satellite. It's like a tag manager and if a company had HP satellite, they were very likely to buy from them. We never really identified Mm -hmm. causality but Understanding what features uh, we can identify within prospects that are most likely going to trigger purchase is important, and data can be used for that.
0: I love that, man. Big, big believer in that. I think, like, because I, I do that with my, the folks that I work with, the clients that I work with, the founders. And I just talked about this in the CRO school, but I, I call it the perfect customer profile. And so, really, the way I look at it is kind of applying Pareto's principle to ICP, right? So, you have like, the 80-20 principle to ICP and then focusing exclusively on them. So then your pipeline is super rich in terms of those trigger events and, and the type of momentum that, that you get. Is that kind of what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people focus on that like kind of spray and pray, the shotgun style. Like We're just going to put our message out to everybody in the world and see who buys from us. And you know, depending on what you're selling, maybe that works. But typically, you need to be a little bit more targeted.
0: And, and so what software do you use to, to nail that down? And what's the data sample size that that you believe is appropriate to, to get good data from that?
1: Yeah, so the software is going to be an algorithm. I mean, we want to start with Salesforce. I'm not a big fan. Salesforce is a CRM or you know a SQL backend. Um, is typically going to be the database that we would leverage uh, and it's like exporting a CSV out of Salesforce is fine for leveraging an algorithm just depending on how many columns you have. Um, we used a proprietary tool I white-labeled with a company that I got to know pretty well called uh, Mariana IQ who then got acquired uh, by 8 by eight. but they had a really cool algorithm for um, developing what we call propensity modeling. So, usually, I don't know that there's one on the market. Uh, that'd be a great question. I know okay. that we have one at Unify that we use too called Decision Engine, but a lot of people have their own um, in-house that they leverage.
0: Okay. Love that, man. Yeah. So, so, keep going down the path. So, it sounds like you focused on, instead of more, you focused on better, which I love. So, mm-hmm. and I kind of interrupt you a couple of times with some more, more granular questions. So, so, keep going. So, where did you take it from there? And then what did it do to the rest of the, the funnel?
1: Yeah. So no, I you know I have a tendency to kind of really geek out on this, uh, and I could go I could go for days. Um, so please interrupt. We were so where we were at was we need to identify who we're targeting at a smaller level. Uh, maybe we had like this is years ago, but I, I think it was like a quarter million prospects in the database from an account perspective, uh, and then uh, whittling that down to maybe our top thousand and then identifying what is our targeting campaign on that. So, building a te- So once we've done that, we want to build what is our outreach campaign. So, building those campaigns, um, you know, we'll use salesloft or outreach.io uh, built on top of Salesforce. Uh, I love using multi-channel. So, when people talk about omni-channel, uh, you're like email and phone call, maybe social, right? But layering on like video. Uh, we found really great results uh, using video from a, a tool like Vidyard. Uh, and what mm. we found the really great results were through tools like Sendoso. So uh, layering in uh, physical as well. So sending out some very specific targeted gifts um, for some clients. I, one client we did like a 3D pen which was really cool uh, and that went over really well and it's a big success. Um, So, incorporating that into a campaign was hugely successful. So, once we've identified who we want to target, if the value is $30,000 in ACV, then it Mm -hmm. made sense to spend $1,000 targeting this one company uh, if we could increase our close rate to 50%. So, that's where we went. We went from I need 200 leads at a 10% close rate for a 10,000 ACV to I need 20 leads um, I'm going to get a 50% close rate at a $50,000 ACV with a smaller sales cycle. Um, and that's where we started in terms of really moving the needle from a revenue standpoint at MRR quickly. Um, from there, we could kind of expand. Uh, so, you always have kind of your top of funnel or your top of, uh, top of the heap and then down into your long tail. So, continuing the outreach at maybe a more shotgun style.
0: Hello and I appreciate you listening to the show today. I love my listeners, and I love helping my customers. One of the things that I've been able to do with some of the customers that I've been working with is, for example, a $6 million SaaS company helped them implement a seven-figure sales system in which they got a one-and-a-half-month ROI on the entire engagement fee that I offered them by one person spending 25% of their time. And this person wasn't even in sales. So these are core principles that help me scale from 0 to $30 million in annual recurring revenue with only four people. In addition, another client that I'm working with was able to 10x their licensing fee, their SaaS licensing fee. And they are really, really just on the early side of starting. So if you're interested in learning more, apply through www.scalerevenue.io forward slash apply www.scalerevenue.io forward apply. Look forward to seeing your application. If you are interested in qualify, we'll receive a follow-up note and we can jump on the phone and identify what the opportunity is exactly for you and your organization. So, yeah, so, so just to recap kind of what you said so you go through your um, propensity model, right, to narrow down, then you narrow it down to your kind of top 1,000 targets. You look at your total ACB value, leverage, and outreach tool like um, Sales Loft or Outreach, right? Uh, and then on top of it, you layer on video prospecting and then gift giving through someone like Sendoso. Or uh, Alice is another company I heard in that space, right? Where you could leverage that. Uh, and, and so let me ask you this, Sean. And, and so you're saying the outcome from that is it it brought close rates up to 50% and then it also increased your ACV from 10K to 30K? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah,
1: I don't remember the exact numbers. It was precipitous though and it helped us hit our numbers, right? So instead of just increasing the leads um, and that's using your SDR, or ADR, or whatever team we're going to call that uh, sales development, Uh, Using that team, um, I think that we often come across those companies or those sales leaders that say, well, if I make 100 phone calls in a day and I set two appointments, if I make 200 phone calls in a day, I'll set four appointments. So, they just keep increasing those quotas. uh, And that just hits the law of diminishing returns, right? Uh, Pretty quickly in sales, you're going to hit that law of diminishing returns if you keep doing the same thing. Um, And that's kind of developed this, what I would say is the... uh, the environment that we're in now, where it's much more difficult to get a hold of people because they're so inundated. Uh, because so many people are like, I'll just send more emails and I'll just make more phone calls and I'll just reach out on LinkedIn more often. Uh, so the people who really succeed are the people who are thinking outside the box. Um, my experience.
0: That's, yeah, I love that, man. So it reminds me of, uh, have you heard of the Dream 100 campaign at all before from Chet Holmes? No. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So yeah, him. man. Yeah, so he wrote the book. Ah, uh, the ultimate sales machine. I think it was like 1992, and so what happened was he got hired by Charlie Munger, uh, which do you know who Charlie Munger is at all? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's Warren Buffett's like right hand man, yeah. right? Um, maybe his chairman, uh, vice chairman, something like that right now. But he was he was uh, the CEO of a company, and so he hired Chet, and basically they had uh, maybe a couple percent market share. And it was for advertising is what they were selling in, in a magazine. So it shows when this when this took place. However, the same principles of what you're talking about applied. Basically, what he did is, is he identified, I think it was the top 100 companies that had like 90% of the ad spend in all, all ads. And he leveraged a gift-giving campaign um, repeatedly where he'd give them a gift every 2 weeks, continuously followed up with them. And then what happened is sales doubled over the first year. They doubled the second year, and by the third year, they had all 100 of those companies that had like 90% market share. So much more draconian way in which they did it. They didn't have all the tools that we had it, but it sounds like it aligns with what you're doing. So let me ask you this, man: in terms of crafting that and putting that together, because I love that concept, um, how do you make it work so it's not super time intensive, right? So let's say you get past the, the the modeling where you know, like, okay, these are the perfect people I want to go after. So, how do you layer that across a tool like, let's just say, Sendosto Outreach in Salesforce? I'm sure it works across HubSpot or any, any other CRM that you have so that, you know, you don't need an army of people to, to, to create those results.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, depending on who you're using, what we would do is create a sequence or a campaign. So, that's a great thing about outreach. I think, I mean, Salesforce pioneered this idea that we don't want to be everything. We just want to do what we do. Uh, And they connect really well with these other tools. So in outreach or sales loft, you can create the touches where in touch one, I'm sending an email. Touch two, I'm connecting on LinkedIn, I'm calling them. Uh, We found the triple touch to be really successful, Um, which is like calling them, emailing them LinkedIn all at the same time. Um, And then our response rate was pretty high on that. Uh, And then maybe a weekend, send them the gift, uh, send them a video, uh, send them another email, have somebody else hit their LinkedIn. So, maybe over the course of three weeks uh, having a 16 touch campaign built into outreach uh, is one step. So, that's automated. So, all these tools will automate those sequences for you for the uh, development reps and really at the end of the day, the SDR is the focal point for any of these campaigns. Working with marketing in terms of overlaying uh, and then it depends on exactly how far you're gonna go. With one client, they were selling the value was extraordinarily high depending on who they were selling to. So Coca-Cola was one of their big targets and they created personalized websites so that when anybody from a Coca-Cola IP hit their website, it showed Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola specific website. So all of the things on their website focus on Coke, uh, which was really successful because there's like 85 different companies within Coke that you can sell to.
0: Wow. Okay, cool. So, so you're saying if, it's 16 touches over three weeks and you could automate the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And so when your ADR comes in, you can automate the whole team. So what we do is we had about 15 ADRs, um, every, and then you split up the list and every ADR has a dedicated, uh, number of accounts, maybe 80 accounts on a list within each account is so many contacts, um, maybe 10, 15 contacts per account. Uh, and each one of those is put into campaigns. Um, one of the best things that we... I mean, the idea of technology, uh, what I love about MarTech is, or RevTech, as I like to call it these days, is the personalization at scale, right? Like, we need to personalize our messaging to every... Like, it's not news, personalizing the messaging to my prospects, uh, making them feel unique and special. uh, But doing that at scale is necessary. So that's where the RevTech comes in. Um, So being able to reach out one after another uh, within a campaign uh, to all the contacts within a specific account uh, is critical, so they can just log in every day and they know who they're going to be reaching out to via email, who they're gonna, yeah. who's been. Uh, I mean, sent they're part of. They would be part of it. Gift. You want to kind of like uh, give them ownership whatever it is. of the process, and then uh, that's where you can get into like multi-party testing, testing. So that relationship between that gets pretty complicated. Especially, so I mean, as a company scales. Safe. Typically a no, Series like A the subject, the subject line be, like, that had the highest program, time, always uh, tells, like, their ADRs, We would always so do contacts by ADRs. Like people would guess because they, they want to buy up those with the leads. Developing those relationships between the best. ADRs and the uh, AE subject line of the best kind uh, of handoff. Eye so eye as my lead is going through the pipeline, from just leaving marketing to my ADR to AEs, and then that's the success that was pretty critical as well. So like, so you would never actually do that. Now that I mean, you do mention it, it does seem like a lot. Didn't seem like a lot at the time, but it does now.
0: <laughs> well, so, and your definition of ADR is what? Like, how would you
1: define that? Uh, an account development rep or a sales development rep? Um, Basically, a BDR, same as a BDR. Yeah, business development rep, whatever we want to call our I don't know what the difference between B B S A would be.
0: Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I like <a>
1: account <laughs> Sorry, development rep.
0: So, last but not least on this, and then I want to move on from it so we don't get too stuck in the weeds. How, Um, what were the results that that achieved, right? So you set up that system, you did that. Um, now like what were the results that it produced in, let's say for an average deal size of 30 K, what, what were you seeing appointment wise? What were you seeing kind of conversion wise? Just ballpark. I know it was a long time ago.
1: Yeah. And I, so our appointments went through the roof. So the number of appointments went very high. Uh, but what really went through the roof was the conversion rate. So, our appointments would go up about 50%, uh, 50%. so if we were averaging 10 a month prior, moving to 15 would be our goal. But if they were closing at a 10% rate, we'd want to move that to a 20% rate because of better targeting um, and more appropriate messaging and maintaining that kind of journey through the pipeline for the customer. But what we found was the dependency on on vertical is huge, so selling to... IT directors is a nightmare, uh, at top of funnel. Getting them into the top of funnel is very difficult from an outbound perspective. It's one thing that we found. The amount of like lift that you have to do. So if I'm selling to marketing people or if I'm selling a mid size offering, uh, to marketers, sales, operations, finance, it's a very different conversation than it is to a cloud architect. Because they're not interested in sales. They're very interested in <laughs> content.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, That's a great nugget. So, so moving on from there, I mean, what are the other and and I'm sure you see this all today with, with early stage companies. I mean, what would you say are the biggest mistakes that you see almost by stage, right? Like, as they go through from series A to series B to series C, like, what are the biggest mistakes that companies make? And then, you know, what do you guys do to help them with that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, from seed to series A, I think not properly defining product market fit is pretty important. Uh, and not getting... I think there's, there was a role that we had that was called the devil's advocate, the chief devil's advocate, the CDA, uh, which is a person that just follows you around and tells you you're wrong all the time. Because founders have a tendency to convince themselves that uh, they're always right. Especially when, if you have a pretty cool product, uh, and you're like, well, everybody in the world is going to buy this. Uh, And so, my total addressable market is everybody, uh, which gives me this huge, you know, if I penetrate at a 0.00001%, I'm going to be a billionaire. Um, So, really identifying what my actual product market fit is one at the seed round that a lot of people fail because they're getting investment from maybe not people doing their due diligence. There's a great book called The Mom Test that was given to me early on which I really liked. Um, I've got a digital copy. This is, it's a really cool way to kind of like think about like, am I just convincing myself this is a cool product or will people actually buy this? Uh, series A to Series B um, is investing too much on top of funnel is what I would always see, is focusing on I just need to identify pipeline and convince anybody that they might be interested. So, moving somebody from top of funnel to end of funnel is, is critical and unless I can do that at a high conversion rate, I don't have my product market fit and I'm going to increase my valuation. That's the other thing. Like People who... What
0: would yeah. you say is high, like high conversion rate, like what would you define as a high conversion rate by your standards? It
1: you depends on what... You, I mean, it really depends on what you're selling. Like if you're selling a, I mean, there's... Um,
0: Let's say for enterprise market or something like that. Well, that like
1: I'm thinking about pricing, right? Pricing models have changed even in the last five years. I mean, going to a consumption-based pricing model, what that does for conversion rate is enormous. That's going to bump my conversion rate up to 90% because if I'm only paying for what I use. Uh, there's not really a lot of risk. So, moving the risk of the acquisition from the consumer to the producer uh, is that's a great way to grow your company. Um, It might not be a great way to grow revenue. I mean, when I think about like Slack, Slack's inability to convert people to subscription uh, for a while was like a big issue. It's a great tool, but if I don't have to pay for it, I'm not going to. Um, But if I'm trying to sell something at, I always use like the 50 K annual cost. It's kind of like from an enterprise perspective, if that's what I'm selling conversion rate on that is I'd love to push 10%. That's, Tip it like from top of funnel, if I'm identifying MQL, Mm -hmm. down to a close one. If I can do 10%, uh, that would be huge, like 2 to 5% is probably, but I'd have to... So from MQL to SQL, 40% and then through the pipeline, maybe dropping that down and I'd have to do the math. You're making me do the math. If I had a whiteboard, I could do it a lot easier. (laughs) It's
0: all right. So, so, that I mean, that gives us a good idea. Um, any other really big mistakes that you see consistently?
1: Oh, man. How did I think about it? I'm thinking like 2%. Yeah. Just, I mean, not having a breadth of leadership at the front, the beginning. So, for if there's a lot of people that hire like a guy that they know who's really good at sales as their chief revenue officer. It's uh, like the A round. That's never a good idea in my experience. Excellent, man. Yeah.
0: Well, I know we're getting close on time. I guess, you know, right now, I I know you're working with the Fortune five hundred companies. You know, what do you see as the biggest opportunity in that space for founders that are that are selling the, the Fortune five hundred, regardless of the tech solution? I guess like what are some of the biggest problems you see most consistently uh, that you run into when in you're helping them marketing wise?
1: Yeah, it's I'm, I'm consistently amazed at how behind the times they are. So that's uh, from a consulting perspective, um, they've not adopted to they've not adapted a lot of the best practices that have been in place for years and years and years and years uh, outside of the Fortune 1000. So within the startup space, the idea of selling a perpetual license is like. Yeah, that's from when I was a little kid. I remember they used to do that, but there's companies still doing that. There's multi-billion dollar companies that are still doing that. Um, Yeah, so there's, I mean, the move toward uh, the modern marketing within the Fortune 1000 is so much slower than I ever could have anticipated. Um, And it's much more difficult to get changes enacted. So, I don't know if that represents an opportunity for founders, Um, but I know that if I'm a technology provider, but there's a lot of opportunity within large organizations. Uh, and once you get in, uh, you can spread that opportunity because, you know, they need help depending on what you're selling. Excellent. Uh, if that helps.
0: Man. No, it's, it, it, it's true that, I mean, I, I've seen that in situations too. Because that, that was where I lived and my team lived when we, we grew massively. It was Fortune 1000. And you see, you're like, how are they still doing that? And it's because they have so much revenue, so much capital, that a lot of times they can still be massively inefficient. Whereas in the startup space, you don't do that, you're dead. Right? (laughs) Right. Done, man, you got X's over your eyes. So so I know we're up on time, man. We went a little bit long here. Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? I think you gave some great insights today, man.
1: Yeah. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always uh, happy. I think that when I was starting out, a lot of founders uh, donated their time, right? And whenever I reached out, people would always uh, offer their help. So it's important to pay that forward. So any help that I can provide, I'm always happy to do so.
0: All right, Sean Cahill uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, it'll be in the show notes as well where where they could find you. But thanks for thanks for being on, man. This was great. It was uh, not and this I say this a lot. So. For, for my my longtime listeners, you might be—I uh, don't want to say perpet- like rolling your eyes—but I, I always think like the discussions go in one direction, and sometimes it goes in a complete other direction, which is the case here. But was massively highly valuable for I think anyone listening on how to how to create some massive momentum in marketing.
1: Awesome! Well, I really appreciate it, Ryan. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career-changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.